Welcome to the podcast, Of Course They Make Me Crazy. It's for those of us who love someone who suffers with a mental illness. You can start to feel lost in their world. And I get it. I grew up with a bipolar mom addicted to pain pills. Hoping the story shared here will help you through difficult days. It's not all serious. We laugh and we joke too. If you have little ones around, pop in your headphones, adults only, please. Hey! Okay, perfect. All right. So, um, hey there, everyone. Uh, I'm April Norris, and I am kicking off the second season of my podcast, Of Course They Make Me Crazy. And I am so excited to have on well-being strategist and passionate mental health advocate, Michelle E. Dickinson. Hey there, girly. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. So she is also a TEDx speaker and a published author, author rather, of a memoir entitled Breaking Into My Life. So um Really excited to have you. I've been kind of stalking you. I found you on Clubhouse. <laughs> Just because we have a somewhat similar uh, story. So um, those of you watching right now, just know that this podcast will be uploaded to Apple Podcasts in the next few days. If you can't stay with us live, we sure hope that you do, but at least you'll know where you can find it. And then also it'll still be posted on uh, Facebook and on YouTube, uh, both. So you can watch it there as well. Just depends on how you like to do it. So Michelle, you're doing great work by partnering with company leaders, uh, with, you know, different companies to bring them a psychological resilience program that you created. Um, and I want to talk to you about that, but I first want to start off with the reason you care so much about other people's well-being, and that happens to come from your mother, um, caring for your mother, your bipolar mother, and uh, which is what your book is about. Again, that's called Breaking Into My Life. So start by uh, telling me a little bit about your early relationship with your mom. Sure, sure. And again, thank you so much for inviting me on. And I, I can feel that we are like uh, sisters from another mister based on what we through, right? It's, it's amazing how that works. But yeah, so my mom was bipolar. I have early memories of her when she was well. Uh, I think that there was like a turning point in her life where the uh, strain and maybe past trauma all sort of caused her to start uh you know, exhibiting signs of bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. um, and so she uh, probably from, I guess, the age of four or on, I remember her starting to be uh, manic or like finding her sitting on the couch crying for hours. Um, it was a bit of a roller coaster for me, as you might know, uh, as a child, like the one thing we need is consistency and predictability and routine. And my mom was anything but consistent. So I never knew the mother I would come home to. Some days she would be in a good mood. Some days she would be angry with me, and I didn't know why. Um, but that, like, shaped me because it taught me compassion. It also taught me um, firsthand what it's like to love someone, how punishing it can be to love someone with a mental illness, um, how we put our own needs on the, on the back burner so that we can do whatever we can to keep peace in the home. 
And that was my life. That was my, my childhood, my young adult life, and even my adult life, uh, just trying to do what I can to help her. So yeah, so that that's really the reason. And honestly, not something I ever thought I would do anything with. It was just sort of what happened. I was able to find myself a, a good job. I was able to go to school um, and never really spoke about it, you know, because as a little girl, we kept those things a secret. We didn't really want anyone knowing what was going on. And then someone asked me about it when I was working in my corporate job. I told the story. And then the next thing I know, I was nominated to give a TED talk about it. So I'm talking about this now. (laughs) Yeah. So then I told the TED story. I I told my story on the TED stage. And, um, you know, there's something really beautiful that happens when you tell your story. It just gives other people permission to tell theirs or to feel less isolated and alone in their journey. And so that was remarkable and very pivotal for me because I got the power of going first and talking, which led me to write my memoir. Because I said, if I could do this in a 10-minute TED Talk, what could I do if I wrote my memoir, yeah. my book? And that set me on my way. Did it? So I read an excerpt from your book, and I think it was called Tears was the, the, the chapter. and. Um, the way you wrote it, and I wish I would have printed it out, was so, it hit me in the gut, in the chest, in the heart, in my whole body, from my toes to my ears, because you had talked about how excited you were uh, to go to school that day, how you had a new outfit, and you had a boy that liked you, and, um, you know, you had this assembly that you wanted to go to, and you knew that your mom was kind of on a roller coaster, not kind of she was because she, you got up to go potty in the middle of the night and all the lights were on downstairs and she was, you know, frantically cleaning the house or no, you said crocheting. Yes. Um, wide awake. Yeah. And uh, I remember those, you know, those, those yeah. nights where, or days yeah. where she wouldn't sleep, and that was what was going on with your mother, and you, you thought to yourself as a little girl, how much longer can she go without sleeping? And it's amazing how long they can go yeah. with, without sleeping. It's like they get superpowers. Um, and it just crushed me because I, I remember her frantically cleaning out the kitchen, you know, and just pulling everything out, and, oh, I'm going to do my crafts, I'm going to do my crafts, and then, She'd have everything laying out, you know, on the floor, and it would lay there for weeks, and she wouldn't touch it. You know, it was more like they just want that um, something to do with their hands, and uh, you know, to to try to keep their mind settled. And but then again, what I think really killed me by reading that, or just really um, resonated with me, is that. You heard her down in the kitchen speaking to your father saying, please stay home with me today. Please stay home with me. I'm so lonely. I shouldn't be alone today or I don't want to be alone. And, uh, I, you know, she would talk about my mother would talk about how lonely she was all the time. And even though we were there for her, right. uh, she when we were there, she wasn't there, meaning if she 
like I drove one time, Michelle, 14 hours because my mom called me to say how lonely she was. I got in the car, got my dog in the car by myself. I had just been working. I was working in television news and uh, I had a very crazy schedule because I anchored the morning show. I got in my car, drove 14 hours from Memphis, Tennessee to Cleveland, Ohio, because she didn't want to be alone or lonely. And she slept the whole time. And that was as an adult, you know, and you, you still, you, you get so upset that you do these things because you love them, but it puts yourself and your own mental health at risk. And, um, it just gets to be just so daunting sometimes. And, you want to just scream, I hate you and I hate your illness. Yes. Essentially, we don't hate our moms, right? We no. love, love, love them. But it gets to be that point where it's like, um, yeah. And So how did you deal with that? I mean, you said you started to see your mom's illness come out about four or five years old. I, I, I thankfully had a little more time with her. Before her illness kicked in, I started, uh, I had it till about 15 and that's when it started to, to really roll through. But, you know, for someone that um, is sitting back and, and listening to us, what were some of your coping mechanisms? Because your mom was also, your mom was violent though too, right? I mean, I, I didn't have a violent mom. She became agitated at the end of her life, but yeah. Um, so you were stuck with, uh, and I hate to say the word stuck, but, you know, with a mom that was bipolar but also abusive. And at the end of your chapter, Tears, you say, I knew what I was in for because you knew she was ticked off that day. Um, And so what was that about? Did she intentionally hurt you or was it something that she did out of like just you know you know there's a saying april that goes the hurt hurt others and i think that you know i don't i don't necessarily um i think i've forgiven her for the most part uh i i I won't i won't forget the abuse because there was abuse you know um and she was definitely absent from what i needed you know Mm -hmm. um but I think as a little girl, I was extremely resourceful. I found the love and the attention and the support in other in other ways that I wasn't getting at home. And I think that we underestimate how how uh, resourceful children can be if they need it. So I I made it a point to find that love in my grandmother and my aunt and even in my girlfriend's parents. Um, you know, and so. It was definitely one of those things where uh, I would find myself in scenarios with my mother where I was being consumed into her sadness. You know, like there's a, a, a chapter in the book where I talk about having to sit with her and she would just cry and sleep and cry and sleep over and over. And as an, I, I think I'm an empath. As an empath, I would absorb that sadness, that deep dark sadness. There's nothing you can do to pull them out of that. Yeah. That is so deeply rooted in their illness. And 
Um, and so that was hard. I think that was probably the hardest aspect is being with someone, being around someone and not being able to take them, take the pain away from them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's interesting that you say that because I spent, uh, you know, my, so my mother had me at 15 and a half, almost 16. So she had me very young and I feel like we grew up with each other and, um, that's just, um, I lost my train of thought. I can't remember what I was going to say, <laughs> but, um, it's hard. Okay. It, 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 I was just saying, you know, it's hard because it engulfs us. It, it, yeah. it sucks us in. And, you know, at, it's not like at an adult caring for another adult as a little child, you're looking up to that adult figure and you're following yeah. their lead, you know? And I think because, and this was was the point that I was going to make, is that I, you know, I would resent her. Um, I resented her for a long time because I felt like we weren't enough to make her happy. And, um, you know, about 15 is when our family really started to, get better in regards to she had been married to my stepfather for a while and he adored her unlike my biological father who was abusive to her and um, they never got married. They were just teenagers. And, and so, you know, thinking back, it's like, what are you, what's wrong with you? You have, you know, a great husband, you have three healthy kids. We all love you. Um, and, but you know, so I was, I, I thought we just were never enough. And I, you know, I also thought, and you probably thought this too, Michelle, that she wasn't trying hard enough. She wasn't trying to get better. She wasn't trying to, you know, um, she wanted her pills more than she wanted to do anything. You know, she yeah. was addicted to pills and, uh, but um, thankfully I, you know, I think what hurts me so much is that I, grew up with seeing that beautiful side of her where she was a hardworking mom. She'd come home and, you know, she'd take us to the beach and she was always smiling. And then all of a sudden at 15, when I'm in my teenage years and I'm going to, you know, proms and dances and she's, she was still there and, 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 you know, had very good days. Um, but that's when I started to, you know, and I think it was very confusing because back then, as you know, um, we didn't have podcasts. We didn't have people talking about this. Right. And it was quiet. It was hush-hush because it was damn embarrassing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. I have stories in my book about, you know, thinking my mother was stable enough and I could bring someone home. And then, oh, my gosh, she wasn't. And now I have to try to explain this. You know, and kids can be mean, you know. Friends can be mean if they see something that's not, you know, aligned with what they think to be okay. So um, really, really hard. Um, But, you know, you you said something uh, I wanted to mention. You know, I was very resentful and very angry and very, um, I don't know, I guess angry and resentful for many years of my mom because of my mom. And, And because, you know, we it was our job to keep peace in the home, walk on eggshells, not create an upset, not create a nervous breakdown, do whatever we needed to, to try to keep peace in the home. So all of my needs would go by the wayside. 
And then I would hit the rebellious teen years. And, you know, that was a whole other can of worms. Like for me, I just couldn't, I didn't want to be home. She was very strict, but then I wanted to go away to college and, and she wasn't having any of that. She wanted me home under her thumb, you know, basically being there for her. So I had, I harbored a lot of anger and resentment and it wasn't until I did the work to start to heal that so that I could let that go mm-hmm. and live my life because, you know, I, I, that no longer was serving me, you know, sort of saying, you know, well, if you grew up like I grew up, what does it matter? I mean, we all have stuff we've grown up with, but yeah. I went through clinical therapy. I did a lot of self-discovery work like Tony Robbins and Landmark. Um, and I was able to reach a place of forgiveness and compassion and, and try to step into what life would have been like for her and to try to raise a daughter and navigate a mental illness. So in the back of my book, there's an epilogue about how ultimately all of this now serves me in the work I do. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't see it for the longest time because I was so focused on the effects that her her uh, mental illness and her behavior was having on me. And when you focus on the effects of that, you, there's no space for compassion or to try to understand what life was like for her. No, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if even as because I grew up watching uh, some of the things that she had to endure and, you know, like like you, um, because she did have me so young at five years old, I knew that our life, there was something very wrong, you know, with it and that this was not how things should be um, because she wasn't in an abusive relationship. And, and, uh, so yeah, it's, you know, it, I think there came a time where, um, maybe it was that drive home, you know, after that 14 hours, that long drive home where it was just like, April, throw your hands up in the air. She has done the best that she was able to do at that time. And she's doing the best that she is able to do, you know, at that moment, you know, when that happened. And you just got to love her. And, you know, you don't have to love her, but, I mean, I did. And um, and it's not you. It has nothing to do with us, you know. It's And, and that's what we have to, you know, make sure that we're saying to ourselves is, this has nothing to do with me. Their actions does not does not mean that you know because I who, you know you you probably felt the same way. You tell somebody your mom is bipolar, like a boyfriend, you know. Right? You tell your mom, they're probably like, damn. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> she said <it> too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it, I. For the longest time, though, and, you know, your story about the 14-hour drive just so resonates because nothing was ever good enough for my mom. Like, she would call me crying that she missed me. She didn't see me. And when was I going to give her grandchildren? And, oh, my God, the layers and layers of guilt that she would just lather on me. I'd be like, oh. And I and I remember driving home from spending, like, hours with her. She lived, she lived about two hours from me at the time and crying the whole way home because no matter what I would give her would never be enough. Yeah. And I was depleted. I was so depleted. Like, like at the end going, I cannot give anymore. And I remember a therapist saying, you need to create boundaries. You are losing 
your own mental health over trying to keep her happy. And that was when I learned boundaries. That was when I knew that I had to put some boundaries in place, even though the repercussions of those boundaries were not going to be pretty. She was going to not be happy with me. I did it. I did it. And it was the best thing I could have done. And I recommend that to people all the time. If they love someone with a mental illness, you have got to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's such a big deal because that, I mean, you and I had the luxury of being able to step away to get a breather once we realized that that was probably the best for everyone because she would also get nervous when I came around too. You know, I just, I think that has something to do with the illness. Um, and she gets super nervous. I don't know if it's because she thought I was judging her or I just wanted my mom, you know, I just wanted her and, um, you know, so I wasn't judging, but again, I was resentful, but I never said, ever said to her, I hate you and your illness. I just, I always said, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why you do the things you do, you know? Um, but, uh, a question for you while I, don't so I don't forget about it because I do have that brain where I'm like, poop, it's gone. Was your 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 mom and your father, did they stay together and did he how did he deal with this? Uh, and the and the reason I ask is because I thought about my father when you and I were talking about, you know, being able to detach and to do boundaries. Yeah. I would go for runs, you know, and when I was living at home, I would go for runs so I wouldn't lose my shit. Um, and then I'd be able to come back with a whole different, you know, feeling about the things that, you know, about her sitting on the couch and just smoking and, you know, in a dark room and, um, everything I think I do, Michelle, is because of, of the way I was raised with her. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, I've always, you know, have done very, you know, things that like owning a fitness studio and things of that sort, but, in regards to your father, was he able to create boundaries? Did they stay together? And how was, yeah, how was that? My dad was amazing. He, through so much turbulence, through so many ups and downs, and so many times my mother was hospitalized and had to, you know, and he had to drive her to be hospitalized. He never left her side. He was such a good man, never once left her, was always there to support her. And he worked a lot. Mm -hmm. So he provided for her, he was loyal to her, and he worked a lot. Um, I I don't necessarily think uh, he was very knowledgeable in her illness because I have memory of him saying, just snap out of it. And we all know they can't just snap Mm -hmm. out of it. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that, uh, she was blessed to have him in in her life as long, you know, for, for their entire marriage, you know, and my father, um, when she passed away, like my father, like met this wonderful woman, they got married and I was like, you so deserve happiness. You yeah. so deserve this happiness that you have. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a little bit about my dad. Yeah. I, I wondered that because, you know, for years, uh, you know, for people listening and they're, you know, have somebody, maybe a child or a sibling or, you know, 
Um, my father was the same as yours. Thankfully, my stepfather was the same. And he came, my stepfather came into our lives when I think I was seven. So he's been around for a long time, but he was just so um, loving and uh, just forgiving of everything. Um, and thankfully, he was like a gift from God. <laughs> yes. That woman could really, you know, <laughs> do some A lot of times it was if when they fought, it was him trying to not allow her to take so many pills, you know? And so that was like always the big fight was, was around, um, George, just give me my you know? (laughs) And so when they, but otherwise he was just, you know, kissed her goodnight and, um, you know, hold her hand and she, he'd go and he'd work all day and then, come home and make dinner for her and then clean the kitchen. And, you know, he was just real. So thankfully they had, uh, both of our mothers had amazing men uh, yes. in their lives because I think, you know, if they didn't, God knows what could have happened. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, yeah. So in the same thing with, with us, I'd always be like, you know, us kids be like, Dad, if you want to get a girlfriend, He's like, no, I would not do that to your mom. And we're like, well, and we're okay with it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he never did. He permission, never did. permission to be, yeah, yeah, that's great. But I guess some people are just stronger, you know, Michelle. I think, I think that um, some some people can just, I don't know, I don't know if it has to to do because it's a husband and wife rather than, you know, a mom daughter kind of thing. But, um, so, and then is your mom still with, is she still alive or has she passed? She passed away. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You did say he remarried her. Yeah. 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 And, and how was that for you when she passed? You know, it was, a, it was an interesting sort of, uh, I read about it in the book the moment I found out she passed away and I don't know, you know, it was one of those moments that was like bittersweet, mm-hmm. but she was so good at manipulating me and controlling me. And I here at that point, I was like married and like living away from her and she still controlled me and still manipulated me. So I had this little moment where I was like, she's no longer going to be able to do that to me anymore. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Guilty. I was like, are you seriously happy that, you know, she's no longer here? And I wasn't, of course, I lost my mother. But at the same time, I gained like, a sense of freedom and vitality to live my life without guilt and without uh, all that pain and, and, and like worry. I worried about her. I worried. I so worried about her. Um, So yeah, but yeah, it was it was hard. It was hard. And it was it was uh, mixed emotions, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I think that uh, I think you know, guilt is the the way that uh, we live our lives, and, and because we do feel guilty all the time, we feel guilty that we're upset with them. We feel guilty if we can't be there enough for them. We feel guilty if you know. <laughs> it's like it's like damn, we we're just it's a lose-lose situation, you know? So uh, when, when my mother passed, I was the same way, you know, I, I felt that she was at peace and uh, then we could be too. Right. 
Right. You know, and so, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, I, I think, you know, coping with it is exactly what you and I had mentioned. It's try to, you know, set boundaries for yourself if you're still going yeah. and dealing with something like this. It, to try, even if it's just, you know, for a drink with a friend. Like when I started to really talk about, the dealings with my husband. I'd go out with my girlfriends and I, I would be so ticked at her. And I'd start telling them about what she did. And then they would start laughing because some of the stuff she did was really funny. And same with my grandma. My grandma didn't have bipolar, but she was took all these pills and, you know, and they were two peas in a pod. And that's even a worse thing, right? When you get two women that just want to sit back on the couch, pop that Coke and pills with each other all day. It's like, ah, um, and, uh, yeah, so I, <laughs> I – there goes my brain again. I couldn't remember what I was about to say. But um, and I, just just being able to laugh is what I was trying to – just be able to laugh and get out just yeah. even if it's, you know, because some people are like, well, I don't want to leave them, you know. Um, I've been gone at work all day, and I don't want to, you know, go meet – it's like you've got to – you have to do that. Oh, Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that break is so important. That mental break is so important. It is. And then that mental break. So let's like turn the corners here. That mental break is essentially why you developed your resilience program because for the, for companies, uh, mental health, because what was the stat? It said what Forbes reported that 69% of employees are experiencing burnout symptoms while working from home. And so your program is to help kind of let company leaders know what their employees are potentially experiencing, right? Exactly. And so, yeah. And honestly, we had so many people, employees were working from home. They were working around the clock. Uh, they were isolated. We're human beings wired for connection. And we were, we were quarantined by ourselves, right? So there, there's a lot that has gone on over the, the, the course of this pandemic. And a lot of people are just experiencing symptoms of depression, anxiety. Um, something like 42% of the global workforce has experienced a decline in their mental health since the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. So that has to wake you up to just how prevalent it is in your own workforce. So, um, yeah, I had my clients I was working with uh, when all of this unfolded, were asking me for resilience. They were like, help us help our people and stay stay healthy, preserve their mental health, and what can they do to do that? And so that was when my resilience program was born. And then after I was delivering it to employees, leaders were coming, uh, company owners and HR were coming to me saying, help our people leaders safely have conversations with their people if they sense that they're struggling. How do they do that? They don't know how to do that. They're so afraid to, to say the wrong thing. So then my leader program was born. So now I have a program for employees and a program for leaders. And it's just really about helping people get comfortable talking about brain health, have them get present to their own beliefs around brain health, and then giving them daily strategies they can do to feel better, to preserve their mental health, to not let it go and leave it up to chance that they're going to feel okay. So yeah, and I love the work. I love getting to tell my story because it helps people understand that they're not alone. 
And um, ultimately, we all need to have a better relationship to our brain. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I love that. It's it's. Um, I mean, I, I can't you know imagine just just as being like a you know, well, not a business owner anymore, but you know, you're you're always you're always working, and then and then going to work is almost easier than staying home and working. Yeah. Um, even though some people really love it, but in in, in regards to it's their time away from the kids. <laughs> and now there's no time away from the kids and then it's hard to separate and it's mm-hmm. constantly you know yeah. um, just they're in that one spot all day and yeah. they're not moving I can't imagine Right. Well, I, I love that you're doing that so um, Michelle where can people find you if they want to reach out to you about really anything that we discussed yeah, so if you're interested in seeing some of the work, I have some. I have actually two free webinars on uh, people people leader training. One's happening tomorrow. One is for educators. That's happening tomorrow. You can find out all about those and the future ones I'll be doing by just following me on LinkedIn, Michelle mm-hmm. E. Dickinson on LinkedIn. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I am at Michelle Dickinson um, seventy one. And then my website for uh, corporate clients and and, uh, educator programs is careforyourpeople.com. Hey, thank you so much for listening. And if you like this, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Let's build a community. We cannot maneuver this crazy life alone. You can also follow on Instagram at, of course, they make me crazy. And I would love for you to join our private Facebook group. And of course, they make me crazy venters. You can do that by going to, of course, they make me crazy.com.